Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, for many of the nation's small businesses, well, these last couple of years have been about one thing, trying to stay open. And now, add inflation into all that. Well, in the city of Decatur, an incubator program was launched to recruit more retail businesses into downtown brick-and-mortar locations. So we'll check in to see how the initiative is going, and we'll hear from a Decatur small business owner who participated. And I love the name. Buzz. Also, calls for an overhaul of the nation's gun laws continue. Last night, another mass shooting, this time at a medical facility in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We'll revisit a conversation with Dr. Mark Rosenberg, physician and public health researcher, as he, as he discusses how gun violence is a public health issue and the importance of using research to combat gun violence. I think the biggest thing that people get wrong is that they think they can vote on legislation without knowing whether this law will save lives or kill more people. We put our politicians in a really unfair position. All that's just ahead. But first this, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is one of the first witnesses testifying today before a special grand jury probe into whether or not former President Donald Trump's actual actions were to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis reportedly has also subpoenaed Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr and a number of other state election officials. They, too, would need to appear as witnesses. Speaking of elections-related news, a hand count of ballots changes the results of a DeKalb County Commission primary. Lauren Alexander will now face Michelle Long Spears instead of Marshall Orson in this month's runoff for District 2. WABE's Raul Bala reports on the circumstances that led to the recount. The first issue that came up was a candidate dropping out of the Democratic primary for the commission district that runs from Brookhaven to Decatur. That left just three candidates in the race. The second issue happened just before advanced voting started as five precincts were left out of District 2. The maps had been redrawn during redistricting. Then, on the first day of advanced voting, a third issue, a non-binding referendum question, did not show up on Republican ballots. Gabriel Sterling, chief operating officer for the Georgia Secretary of State's office, says human error in programming fixes for these issues led to the wrong results for District 2. There were four positions on the scanners they were looking for, but on some of the BMDs, some percentage of them, there were only three candidates showing because of the final uh, media output that was changed because of that Republican ballot question. So that is why you got some of those weird outputs. And when you try to put them into the election management system to aggregate, you got what looked very strange. It was a human error by about programming that just didn't get caught early enough. It got caught at the end, which is not the best place to catch it, but it's better to catch it there than not catch it at all. Sterling says because of Georgia's paper backup system, a recount was possible. Raul Valley, WABE News. In other news, Georgia health officials are again urging residents to get vaccinated as the number of new COVID cases is up again this week. And as Jess Mador reports, they're likely to keep increasing as positive cases emerge following this past Memorial Day holiday. This week, the State Department of Public Health is reporting nearly 16,000 new COVID-19 cases and almost 570 patients hospitalized statewide. The U.S. recently surpassed 1 million total coronavirus deaths. And while the number of new COVID deaths remains lower than at previous times in the pandemic, infections are rising across much of the South. For help finding a vaccine or booster shot, call the Georgia Department of Public Health at 888-457-0186. Jess Mador, WABE News. 
Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens says the city is planning a $20 million investment in early education, as we hear from Martha Dalton. The money will go toward refurbishing child care centers, paying teachers, and subsidies to help families afford child care. The average monthly cost of child care in Georgia is $1,000 per child. Courtney English, the mayor's senior policy advisor, says that's too much for a lot of families. There are about 13,000 families in and around um, the city of Atlanta that are either cost burdened. They're paying well over 40 percent of their income towards child care services. That's way, way too high. Or they don't have access to any kind of program simply because either they can't get there, they can't afford it. The mayor's plan includes $5 million from the city, another five from Atlanta Public Schools, and $10 million from the private sector, half of which has already been donated. English says more details will be released once the city completes its budgeting process. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And finally... No, Kevin is not DJing. It's Jody Watley Day here in Atlanta. That's what's up. The legendary R&B pop singer and songwriter is being honored down at the state capitol. Watley will receive the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award during the ceremony. From a dancing teenager to the television program, on the television program Soul Train, to the R&B group Shalimar, to a very successful solo career, which exploded in the 80s. Yes, Jolie Watley is truly an icon. Do not send me an email saying she's not, because those are fighting words. I remember skating to all this. You remember this, Kevin? Daniel? You all remember this? Oh, they don't know. Congratulations, Jolie Watley. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Back in August of 2021, you may recall the conversation I had with Shirley Bayless, the downtown program manager for the city of Decatur. And we talked about a new push to make sure small business owners, well, they had a good footing for success. Now, the city of Decatur and Decatur Downtown Development Authority, well, they were launching this retail recruitment incubator program known as the Decatur Retail Incubator Program, or the DRIP. The pilot, provi- the pilot program provided six entrepreneurs with resources and a temporary retail space to sell their products for six months. Well, guess what? It's been over six months, and now we want to know what happened. Joining me now with Shirley is Buzz Busby, a recent participant in the Decatur Retail Incubator Program and the owner and creative director of the lifestyle apparel brand. Hold on. Yeah, Buzzy. Joining, they both join me now to provide an update on the program. Shirley, Buzzy, thanks for taking time. I appreciate it. Buzz, not Buzzy. Buzz, correct? Yeah. Either or you can call me either. <laughs> well, I don't call you what you what your friends call you. When you're having a beer, what do they call you? Buzz? Yep. Buzz it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shirley, I want to start with you. Let's back up for a moment because you all you all had a lot of folks that were interested in participating, correct? How many how many applications did you do you think you all got? We had 11 people uh, start applications and we had seven that uh, completed them. And then uh, when our review committee came together, we looked at four of them that qualified and met everything that uh, we were looking for for the program. And uh, three of them accepted the, uh, the opportunity. What were those, what was the criteria you all definitely wanted in the small business? Uh, well, we, we wanted them, if they already had a business going, uh, we think it's important that you should have a business license in the city, wherever you are, that you are doing business. Uh, we wanted to make sure that they were already pay- paying sales tax because they were selling items. Um, well, we well, also- well, some folks uh, not paying taxes or some folks didn't have a license? <laughs> 
Yeah. And then yeah, what? Like, come yes. on, y'all. Now, y'all folks, I, I try to be there for you, small business, but y'all know better than that. Come on. Yes. And we wanted them to have, I think it was two years uh, business history. Uh, and also to, we wanted to, them to submit a, a financial report mm-hmm. so that we could see where they were financially. Uh, if they were ready for this opportunity, uh, sometimes people start a business and, you know, and they're really not ready for that type of opportunity. Our goal was to to sure. select people that had a op- that if at the end of this, there was possibility or option for them to either go into a brick and mortar location or be on the shelf of one of our uh, local retail shops. And so, um, so that's but yeah, so those were the things we were looking for. Let me go over to Buzz. Buzz, how did you hear about this program? Um, I heard about this program through a referral of a really good friend of mine um, in Atlanta that's very connected. Her name is Laura Moody. And she suggested, uh, told me about it and suggested that I apply. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Yeah Buzzy. How long y'all been around? Uh, yeah Buzzy's been around since 2016. So we just had our, we've had our sixth anniversary and we're starting our seventh year. And for someone listening says, okay, Rose says this is a creative brand. What it is about Yeah Buzzy? What am I looking at here? What what kind of products are you all offering? So we we are an apparel and accessories design and production company. So we design all of our own collections, um, t-shirts, tank tops, headwear, socks, shorts, um, um, and then also other accessories like screen prints. Um, things like that. I'm first and foremost a designer. Um, so I bring a lot of that um, vision to the retail side of it as well. So we're, we're a apparel brand with design agency elements. How would you describe in terms of your, your typical customer or clientele? Do you cater to a specific group um, or demographic or is it something that everyone can, can get a shirt or socks or what have you? Yeah, everybody can absolutely. We have we have customers that you know range all different cultures and lifestyles. But we are we're a queer owned company, mm-hmm. uh, and our primary focus is on the LGBTQ community. Um, but we have we have customers um, that are way outside of that as well. Let me ask you this, Buzz. You started twenty sixteen. You're in it for a few years. Then the pandemic hits. How did you all, or, or how would you describe how you all have been able to maneuver through this? Because obviously we're still in it. Yeah, well, I think being being built primarily as an e-commerce brand, right? We're first and foremost on, on uh, e-commerce platforms. So we were already set up for something like that to happen, um, um, even though we, you know, of course we didn't want something like that to happen, but we're... Other brick and mortar stores were were in person and had to pivot to e-commerce. Um, we were already there, and mm-hmm. then also um, our customers and and returning customers and new customers really showed up for my small business and other small businesses during the pandemic. It was it was amazing. So you didn't take a, a huge hit in terms of revenue. Um, no, we actually, we actually did about the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were lucky it was an election year. So we did, we always do kind of, um, um, purpose, uh, driven designs. So we had a t-shirt that was, um, called welcome to beautiful blue Georgia that saved us that year. (laughs) Okay. I hear you on that. Uh, let me ask you this. How many employees full-time do you have, Buzz? So myself and I have another, another full-time employee. But you were not in a brick and mortar location, per se. It was all online. It's all online, um, wholesale, and then we sell at a couple other stores like the the Beehive in Atlanta on Moreland Avenue. Shirley, let me come back to you. So then, these six months, what did you all offer to the businesses that you selected, and businesses like Yeah Buzzy? What did you all offer to them? So we, um, you know, um, there. The, I would say that the um, the space itself was they they only had to pay a portion of it. Our downtown development authority uh, took on uh, a portion of that cost, uh, as well as they took on a, the cost of internet. And then we offered training in uh, five different areas. Uh, one area we were not able to uh, do was uh, on mental health, uh, but. Um, I, I felt like, and at the end of that, I think the trainings that they did that they did get to have actually went very well, 
And uh, those were the ones for the best fit. That was the best fit for those that were a part of the program in the end. But uh, some of our training was around uh, financial uh, steadiness for, for a business owner. Uh, we talked about uh, marketing and customer service. And so there were several different ones. And uh, in those, we also opened those trainings up to some of our existing businesses. So mm-hmm. it allowed them some opportunities to connect with those people that attended. And, and those people were able to hear like about their businesses in those courses. And who did the training? So uh, we actually, for two of the trainings, we partnered with Georgia Perimeter College and they came out and did it. And then we had a, um, a vendor that I actually heard at the uh, Southeastern Tourism Marketing College last year um, on uh, customer service and, um, and marketing your business. And so she drove down from North Georgia her name is Rita Suter. Mm-hmm. She did that training for us. And uh, then uh, we have a local um, accountant who uh, he and uh, one of his staff members came in and talked about, uh, you know, just managing your books and managing your finances for your business. And um, and one of our local attorneys did one on just a process of, of preparing to work with comm- commercial realtors to go in a space on your own. Buzz, prior to this opportunity, were you thinking about at some point, I would like to move into a brick and mortar, but I'm probably assuming here, and I could be right, that perhaps financial funding was going to be a big issue before you could take that leap? Yeah, absolutely. It's always been a, a dream, right? And definitely a bucket list item um, to want to uh, have a physical space. And and the thing that was great about this program uh, with City of Decatur was that it was it allowed me to explore that within a very low risk setting um, to play around with our our products in a physical space. And it was convincing enough to where I was like, okay, we wanna find a permanent home somewhere. What were the biggest takeaways or the resources you found that were so helpful for you that maybe you didn't consider or didn't even think about prior to joining this program? Um, well, like, to echo what Shirley said, a lot of the trainings were really valuable. Um, I think for me, having hired a full-time employee in the last year, the HR training was really was really um, valuable. Like I said, I'm I'm a designer more mm-hmm. than I am um, a business owner or HR person. <laughs> so any of those like those like small tidbits from those trainings were, were huge takeaways for me, um, and then. Yeah, just really playing around with our products in the store, like visual merchandising and all that stuff. It was interesting to take our stuff from kind of a flat digital mm-hmm. social media set setting and, and actually into a space that was a destination we could tell people to come to. How big was the space? Um, t- I believe it's about 850. Is that it? It's actually 750. That's not that that you can put a lot in there. You can rows and rows of T-shirts and (laughs) uh, put a sock band in there. You you can get a lot in there. Uh, Let's go back, Buzz, into that that first time that when you realize, okay, I have everything where it is. I'm ready to open my doors to the public. What was that day like? Um, it was, it was amazing. It was, I was actually not there on the first day because I had rotator and bicep surgery the day before that. <laughs> you, um, are you okay? First of all, you good? Yeah, I'm, I'm great now. It's all just, right. you know, the way it's happened. Um, um, it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was li- literally like a moment where I felt we were so busy, but also wanted to take the time to stand back and, and really embrace what was happening. Shirley, what's been the feedback? We heard what Buzz has said, and because he's live on the air with you right now, but what's been some of the feedback you've gotten from the other business owners who participated? Um, well, we had one business owner, like probably about halfway through the program that was not able to continue on in the program, mm-hmm. um, just simply because it just didn't work out with she and her business partner being able to be present. Because one of the things that was required was that you had to be in the space, the days that the space was open. And uh, and it was Wednesday through Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, because just from us knowing our city and our retail businesses in the city, we kind of know what, you know, when the, the feet were moving around, why was that know, so especially important? coming out of COVID. Why, why was that so important? Or especially if they had employees, I mean, because a lot of small business owners, you know, they're also 
balancing a family situation that they're not in there every day. I have friends who are small business owners who aren't in every day, but they have employees. Why was that a mandate? It was because we really wanted them not only to just be in that space, we wanted them to connect with community. Uh, as people were coming in, getting to know them, they're they're the best tellers of their story. They're the best teller of their product. And, you know, and if they had an employee, great. But in this case, um, mm-hmm. they did not have employees. And so uh, when they weren't there, that was the empty spot. You know, it was the stuff was there, but no one could buy anything because each retailer managed their own monies that were coming in for the product that was being sold. And this is an, and it was, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, no, I was going to ask, this is downtown Decatur on the square or just throughout that area? No, this was on West. This was in their particular store and it was on West Ponce. So you had different locations. Not all the small businesses were in one, one area. Yeah. Yeah. They were all in one space. That's 750 square feet. Wait, wait, wait. So all four were in the same space? It ended up being three. All three. The fourth, the fourth one That's realized tight. he could not keep the commitment. But actually, I mean, and Buzz, you can back me up on this. It really wasn't tight. I was really concerned at first, too. Really? All three? It, it really wasn't as tight as I thought it would be. Buzz, did you try to sway customers like, you know, don't come over here, come over here, don't. don't, don't. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my my employees, he's a little more of uh, he's a little more outgoing than I am, so he. He's the talker for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Hey, this is great, but once you get through buying this, come on over here to yeah, buzz yeah, it. absolutely." And I mean, it's it's hard because like you, it, it is hard to fill shelf space, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not an easy thing to do, and you really you really find that out once you're in there. You know, a website it can be whatever whatever products, how many of them you ever have, but when you get them, you know, in 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 a physical space, then. People pay attention to those things. Visual merchandising comes into play and things like that. Shirley, are you all going to keep doing this? This was sort of the pilot program, the pilot phase of this. Do you all have the funding to do it? So we we have the funding to do it. Um, We are actually kind of change. I want to say change in direction. We just have another arm of the drip program that uh, we are we're playing with. And I, I can't say who or how that's happening but um why can't you say who one or day I'll how come back it's, it's, one day i'll come back on and tell you that what can you just <laughs> tell me now <laughs> can't tell you that right now rose come on really yeah, you <laughs> but know me, uh, anyway <laughs> you and the thousands of other people listening right millions shirley millions millions of people listening <laughs> well here's here's i just got an email but here's a question i was going to ask anyway um will the business be able to stay there as long as they can or is it like, you know, Survivor, you had to move them out and bring in some new folks? So it was a six-month program. Um, and what they had, and you had to complete everything that we had on that list as far as your trainings. Uh, I'm happy to say that Buzz did that. And we did make him an offer. And I will tell him, let him tell you what, you know, what, as he researched it and thought about it. So Buzz, I'll let you share your answer back oh, to us. Buzz breaking that. some news. Go ahead, Buzz. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it, 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 like I said, the opportunity was amazing. One of the best opportunities that I've had since I've started my business. And I'm very, very appreciative and thankful for Shirley and the rest of the team at the city of Decatur. But when looking at it long-term, um, for us to continue growing and to be a part of the community as well. It wasn't the right permanent space for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was the main thing. And so will you look for another space or you want to take a little break and then maybe think about trying to, because, you know, lease, lease, lease is high. Leasing a building and leasing a space can be high. So you want to take yeah. your time to... <clears throat> Um, we're looking. We're looking for a permanent space in the city of Atlanta. Well, city of Atlanta. If, any, if anybody knows, yeah, we're we we live in uh, we're in. Did we lose Buzz? Buzz. Uh, we're in the city of Atlanta. Okay, but so you want you want your facility to be in the city of Atlanta? I think so. Yeah. Is downtown is Decatur too high? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, before I let you all go, Buzz, what is your advice to, you know, fellow small business owners, entrepreneurs about this program? Once it comes back, it's all secretive now, according to Shirley, in terms of it's going to be, you know, modified or what have you. But 
if not this program, because we've been doing some research, there are some programs out there. You got to look for them, and there's some some funding out there too. But what do you want folks to know about taking that leap of faith if you can? You know, get into a brick and mortar location. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's really important for people. You know, obviously, if they pay taxes and if they have a business license and things like that, you're all, all your ducks are in a row mm-hmm. um, to really get out in your community. Like Shirley said, we're we are a community focused brand, so it's very important for us to um, be who we are in in our community. Um, and take part in that. Shirley, what can you offer in terms of the next initiative? Will you all hopefully look to have more or with those challenges that some of the small business owners had even qualifying, maybe that's an area that you all need to address as well? Uh, I think for us, I think a great part of it, we learned, I learned from it as well. Um, A big part too is just really educating those who want to apply. That's huge because I mean, literally, I had so many people calling me saying, how do I get a business license? How do I get my state tax number to pay my taxes? Things like that. And so, um, well, you know, I think there's going to be a season where we will offer some education, but we still want to work with those businesses who are ready. We, you know, we, I have talked to people all the time, they're ready mm-hmm. and they are, they may be ready, but they may encounter the side of, you know, of of the cost of being in a commercial space. Mm -hmm. So any type of education we can give them around that, we want to do that. And we build those relationships. And uh, I, you know, just like I built that relationship with Buzz, I know he's saying he wants to be in Atlanta, but. (laughs) You should have made it 12 months. You should have made it 12 months instead of six. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but we will, you know, ultimately we, we hope to see him back in our city at some point with the location as well. And our, you know, our, like I said, it, it was always either in a, a brick and mortar space or on a shelf in one of our retailers in the city. And, and Buzz does have some of his stuff and has had some of his stuff on the shelf of a, a retailer in our city. So, All right, Buzz, I need to get with you to redesign our Closer Look brand. I don't know what that I would like, love but... that. That would, be, I would love that. <laughs> Buzz, Buzz, be a recent participant in the Decatur Retail Incubator Program and the owner and creative director of the Lifestyle Apparel brand. Yeah, Buzzy. Also, Shirley Bayless, the program manager for the city of Decatur, which oversees the Decatur Retail Incubator Program. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Continued success, Buzz, okay? Thank you so much, Buzz. It's great to meet you and talk to you. And Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta continues. I'm Rose Scott. As you've been hearing, yet another mass shooting, this time at a medical facility in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at the time of this broadcast, five are confirmed dead, including the gunman. The Tulsa police chief says early investigative reports reveal the gunman bought a semi-automatic rifle at 2 p.m. yesterday. And then police received calls about the shooting less than three hours later. Now, also during this broadcast at this time, a House committee is considering legislation to raise the age limit for buying certain firearms. And within this hour, U.S. Representative Democrat Eric Sawwall from from California said this. What we have come to see across America is that our law enforcement are just outgunned. We're a country of unrestricted weaponry that continues to put the most dangerous weapons in the hands of the most dangerous people. So we could hire 100,000 retired police officers, but if we are a country that has over 100 million assault rifles, they're just outgunned. And that's what we saw in Ovalde. And tragically, in 2016, in Dallas, Texas, five brave police officers, SWAT-trained police officers, were murdered by a killer with an assault rifle. Now, to counter that, U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, offered this. I would like to introduce into the record a list of cases where concealed handgun permit holders have likely stopped mass public shootings. This is from CrimeResearch.org. It was published May 27th, 2022. Without objection. I'll read from this list, and, and I'm going to run out of time, but I'll try to make each of these summaries brief because there are 
dozens of instances. Even though the media doesn't want to report them, sometimes they get reported. Just, just this week, last week, May 25th, 2022, uh, Charleston, West Virginia. Here a man with an extensive criminal history started firing an AR-15 style firearm into a crowd. Fortunately, a woman who was legally carrying a gun was there to stop the attack. She shot the attacker. It ended before anybody got hurt. Now here in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp, of course, has signed into law the permitless carry. And early in the year, as this measure was making its way through the General Assembly, I spoke with Dr. Mark Rosenberg. He's a physician and public health researcher. And Dr. Rosenberg said lawmakers needed to be educated about gun violence data. I think that Governor Kemp is asking the legislators to take on something that's totally unfair. He's asking them to vote for this legislation which may be a death sentence to many people in Georgia. He does not know that this will save lives. He doesn't know the effects of it. And to ask people to vote this into law without knowing what it's gonna do is totally unfair. And the legislators also ought to say, we're not gonna vote on this till we know what it's gonna do, what the impact will be, what the effects will be. And we can find out this research has been restarted We can wait to find out what permitless carry does to suicides and gun homicides. We do know that more guns in a state results in more deaths. We do know that. We don't know that more people carrying weapons will save lives and prevent assaults. We don't know that. The thing is, we can find out. Let's do the work. Let's find the answers before we rush to judgment. Speaking of doing the work, Dr. Rosenberg and I discussed how gun violence is a public health issue, and again, the importance of using research to combat gun violence. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rose, and thanks for raising this important topic for a closer look. Through your lens, what do you think people might get wrong when we talk about Second Amendment, and then as it relates to legislation that might regulate, whether it's, it's gun safety or you know, who can carry and who can own a firearm. Through your lens, what do you think people get wrong about the two? I think the biggest thing that people get wrong is that they think they can vote on legislation without knowing whether this law will save lives or kill more people. We put our politicians in a really unfair position, and we don't know if that will make Georgians safer or be a death sentence for many more people in our state. They don't know. And I can't think of any other area where we ask them to vote on a matter of life or death without knowing what their vote means and what it's going to do. Let's talk about the then, Dr. Rosenberg, and let's deal with data because you're a guy that deals with data. You know, when folks say, well, can you point to something? Is there a correlation in terms of a state's gun laws and to gun fatalities in that state? Absolutely, Rose. It's been shown time and time again that the more guns you have, the higher the rate of homicides and gun suicides. It's been shown over and over and over. Also, the looser gun laws you have, the more gun homicides, the more gun suicides you will have. It's clearly proven and held up by the data. Then you may know the next question then. Someone says, okay, Dr. Rosenberg, where is this data? Where can I find it? You can find it on the CDC website. You can also find it from the Violence Prevention Center website. And worse comes to worse, Google it. It's out there for everyone to see. And I think all of the organizations realize now that in an area where there's so much distrust, we have to make the data transparent and share the data. And for the first time in many years, CDC has a director who says this problem of gun violence is a public health problem. Mm -hmm. And her charge is to prevent preventable deaths. And she says this is something that the CDC is going to take on. She's courageous in speaking up about this. Then when we talk about how do we combat that, the gun violence and the gun fatalities, is the, the, at the top of that list, Dr. Rosenberg, you're saying you have to start with legislation, with the laws, looking at what's on the books, what's not on the books, and then begin the process of working through all of that. 
Is that where you begin? I think you begin by asking four simple questions, Rose. Mm-hmm. And you start by looking at the problem of gun violence. We're not looking at all forms of gun of all forms of violence, but we're looking at gun violence. Mm-hmm. And the four questions we should be asking ourselves are first, what's the problem? Who gets shot? Where? When? Under what circumstances? What's the relationship between the shooter and the victim? Mm-hmm. With what kind of weapon? Where does the weapon come from? But what's the problem? And are these rates increasing or decreasing? The second question we should be asking is, what are the causes? What's the role of gangs? What's the role of drugs and alcohol? What's the role of domestic violence? Mm -hmm. What's the role of kids having too easy access to firearms? What's the role of mental illness? But what's the role of poverty and lack of education Mm -hmm. and discrimination and racism? We should be asking, what's the cause? The third question we should be asking is, what works? What works to prevent gun violence? And at the same time, when we say what works, what prevents gun violence and what works without infringing on the rights of law-abiding gun owners? Mm -hmm. You need both of those components to say what works. And then the fourth question we should be asking is, once you have something that works in a controlled setting, How do you scale it up? How do you translate it into legislation and policy and programs? But those questions, the question we lack the most and the most critical for us is what works. We don't know simple, basic things. We don't know, for example, if arming teachers, Mm -hmm. arming every teacher in a school is going to prevent school shootings or whether it will result in more kids dying. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the policy of permitless carry will result in. There's some indications that it will increase gun homicides, but we don't know what works. And we can find out things that work both to reduce gun violence and to protect the rights of law-abiding gun owners. And Dr. Rosenberg, before we get to those four, you know, in a more deeper conversation, someone listening says, well, those are great. But now we have to take the politics out of this and get everybody. I know it's a cliche, get everybody in the same room and you got to change the mindset. Now, everyone is, a, is in agreement now that when it comes to mental health legislation, we got to change the mindset about stigma. Right. So now we're talking about you have these four components here, but you the main barrier is the politics of all this. How do you break through that first? I think when we talk, it's a really good question, Rose, when we talk about the politics of gun violence, people refer to the NRA and the gun lobby as a very strong force. It's so strong that a lot of people are afraid to even look at the problem of guns. They want to look at gun violence without looking at the guns. Mm -hmm. That's about as crazy as you can get. And the reason is that CDC started doing research on gun violence prevention in the 1980s because it was a very big problem, and that's what people were dying from. They weren't dying so much from infectious diseases. And the director of CDC said, let's find out the answers to what's really killing people. And when they started to look at that, they said, look at what happened in a parallel area. Look at what happened to people being killed in road crashes. Mm -hmm. And the government had invested $200 million a year for 50 years. And it brought about a minor miracle It brought the road deaths way down. People totally redesigned the car, they developed front airbags and side airbags Mm -hmm. and seat belts and elevated brake lights and front impact protection, rollover protection. And bit by bit, the rate of deaths on the highways came way down. We've saved 600,000 lives from that research. We looked at gun violence and we said, what do we know from our research? And it turned out that the government had invested almost nothing in looking at the causes and ways to prevent gun deaths. And we said, let's start to do the research. The NRA developed a strategy that said, look, it's either you do the research or you keep your guns. But if you do this research, you're all going to result in losing all your guns. And the people were scared. They listened to that. And politicians are scared that if they do anything to address guns, 
they'll lose their seat. They'll lose their position. It's not like that, and it doesn't have to be like that. In other words, the through your lens, the gun lobbying effectively pressured Congress, and you're saying for decades now, that's why we don't we we haven't had funding to even research this like we did for, you know, car fatalities. <laughs> that what you're saying? Exactly. The research was stopped for more than 20 years, Rose. Questions that are a matter of life or death, we stopped looking at. The government stopped. Some very brave researchers, some foundations, some academic places continue to do some research. But the major research has to come from the government, and that was stopped for 20 years. Two years ago, it was restarted, and that's a very, very good thing. But as a result, we don't really know what works. And the NRA, when they said either you do the research and look at guns and gun safety, or you keep your guns, that is not true. In fact, good research will find a way to do both. We'll find a way to reduce gun violence and save lives and not infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners. There are things that work to do both. We can look closely at the guns. We can Mm -hmm. look closely at the problem and know that that doesn't mean we want to take guns away from law-abiding gun owners. We can protect their rights and protect the people. The voice you hear is Dr. Mark Rosenberg. He served 20 years with the CDC and helped establish the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. And we're talking about the state of public health research on gun injuries and violence. I want to talk about something you just said, because we do know that research, and this is research, anyone can look it up, from Pew, says suicides have long accounted for the majority of gun deaths here in the U.S. And so this is the question. If we're expanding access to guns, it kind of runs counter to Georgia lawmakers' current efforts to address mental health issues. Do you agree with that? I think mental health issues absolutely need to be addressed. Our system is grossly inadequate for providing mental health care in this state. It's terrible, and absolutely we need to do better. But people have hoped that they could find a small group of mentally ill people who are responsible for most of the gun violence in the state, in the country. And that's not going to happen. Most violent people are not mentally ill. And most mentally ill people don't commit violence. Do we need to try everything we can to stop some of those? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that's not the answer to most of our gun homicides. It's not the answer to most of our gun suicides. Better mental health is absolutely necessary. But that shouldn't divert us from looking at the problem of guns and guns in the hands of people who should not have them. So and also in those four components that you mentioned earlier, you talked about causes and you mentioned poverty. And you mentioned education and you mentioned so many quality of life factors. That's a whole nother conversation we could have. But I do want to give you a chance to make the connection for our listeners, if you will. And when you talk about what role poverty plays in this, low income communities and how gun violence is at the core of that. And discrimination and racism. Absolutely. Are so important. You know, if I were to tell you that the rate of gun deaths among young black men is twice as high as the rate of gun deaths among young white men. You'd say, wow, that's not fair, that's not right. Well, I'll tell you, it's not twice as high. It's not three times as high. Four times, five, six, would you believe eight times to 12 times as high as the rate among young white men? This is a disparity that screams out for more attention And when people start to look at some of the reasons, they look at long-term impacts of discrimination, of poverty, of Mm -hmm. lack of access to education, of lack of jobs, lack of hope among people. These are things that take a long time to start to change. But the best time to start changing them would have been 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. The second best time is now. And we can do things for prevention. We can focus on prevention. We can focus on change for the good. I don't think that permitless carry is going to get us to where we want to go. Dr. Rosenberg, is there a state that you can point to that perhaps could be a template for Georgia lawmakers to look at in terms of what's working 
I, it's a very good question, Rose. There are states that have more gun laws and that have lower gun homicide and gun suicide rates. In fact, as you mentioned, the statistics put Georgia at number 14 or 15 in gun death rates in the country. And if you look at the top five states, they all have more gun death, gun violence prevention laws and fewer guns. Fewer guns, better laws, save lives. And they can save lives without impacting the rights of law-abiding gun owners. There are things that do work to do that. Things like uniform background checks Mm -hmm. that are systematically and evenly and effectively enforced. We have laws against people convicted of domestic violence from carrying guns and owning guns. Those work. They don't take the rights away from law-abiding gun owners. Red flag laws that look at people at very high risk of killing themselves or killing someone else adjudicated by a judge or law enforcement officers. These can be very effective in saving lives. There are many things that those good states are trying to put in place and things that we can copy, things that we should think about. Full disclosure, I want our audience to know that I actually co-moderated a mayoral forum where you presented in a much more deeper and detailed fashion than you are today on this program to then the mayoral candidates as it relates to gun violence here in not just Atlanta, but obviously all across the nation. With the information you have, Dr. Rosenberg, and the data that you have to support it, have you had a chance to, have you been invited to the Capitol? Has anyone said, hey, let's listen to Dr. Rosenberg. Let's hear what he has to say. Or just folks not interested down there. I have not been invited to the Capitol, Rose, but this is an area that I care deeply about. And mm-hmm. if I can be helpful in both protecting the rights of law-abiding gun owners and reducing gun violence, I'm happy to do that. I was very encouraged at that forum that the mayor of Atlanta, the new mayor, Andre Dawkins, Dickens, mm-hmm. Dickens is interested in gun violence prevention. And he's an engineer by training. And this problem requires a systems approach. There are many parts of the system that need to be addressed that can make a difference. And uh, I'm hopeful and optimistic that we will. Everyone is affected by gun violence. There's no one who's not scared of it. People who lose their children, people who lose their spouse, people who were injured for life. People are scared about this, rightfully so. The gun violence rates in Georgia have gone up 30 to 35 Mm percent in the last year or two. That's an astounding and scary increase. We don't have to live this way. So where do we go from here, Dr. Rosenberg? What ultimately needed then to get gun violence and injury, if if you, for lack of better words here, under control? But even with that question, I feel silly because before we get there, it's about getting people to recognize the problem which goes back to that the, the first of your four components here. You're right, Rose. We can do much better. We can start by realizing we shouldn't be afraid to look at the problem of guns as a big part of gun violence. Because looking at the problem, enforcing laws that don't infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners doesn't interfere with the rights of legitimate law-abiding gun owners. We can look at the problem, we can solve the problem without taking their guns away. We did that with cars. We didn't have to take cars away. We didn't ban cars, but they're much, much safer. We can do the same thing in this area, but we start by looking at the problem. Let's get our statistics, let's get our data, not just have stories that say how terrible the problem is, but let's look at who's getting shot where, when, under what circumstances, with what kind of weapons, where do they come from? Let's look at the causes. How much of these are from gang violence? How many are associated with drugs Mm -hmm. and alcohol? How many with mental illness? Mm -hmm. How many with domestic violence? Let's start to look at the problem, figure out what works. That's the key. Let's start looking at what works. Let's collect information in our state to find out what works in our state. 
if we cover our eyes, if we don't look at what's happening, if we don't use our heads, we'll continue to suffer. I take it if you had an opportunity to be in conversation with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, everything you just laid out to me and our listeners, that's what that's what you would say to him? I would love to talk to the governor. I believe that he understands and can understand what works and what doesn't work. And we can provide him that kind of information and we can help him gather the information he needs to rule effectively and protect the rights of law-abiding gun owners and save lives in our state. He can do both. And I think that's a win-win for him and for the citizens of Georgia. And that was a conversation with Dr. Mark Rosenberg back in February of this year. Now, this was before Governor Brian Kemp had signed the permitless carry into law. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online, wabe.org slash closerlook. And you can also listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And guess what? Closer Look will be live. That's right. Live in front of a, an audience. Like, wait, wait, don't tell me, but much, much cooler. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, June 17th, 1 p.m. at the Atlanta History Center. We will be live. We'll be talking about Juneteenth and some other issues related to how we teach about how we teach American history in our nation's schools. Again, more information coming soon, but Closer Look live in front of an audience. And you can be there, too, June 17th. 1 p.m. at the Atlanta History Center. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.